look like my kids. Um, hey, uh, brand new se- uh, series today starts, um, and I should say brand new series to us, because this is not original to us. We're borrowing this series from uh, North Point Community Church. We're going to make it our own. Uh, you're actually going to hear from uh, a couple of the pastors on our staff throughout this series. Um, but for the next six weeks, um, we're, we're just going to talk about some specific applications for Christians, okay? And the reason I say it's for Christians is because what we're talking about for the next six weeks is from Scripture to Jesus followers. If you're not a Christian or you're not sure or you're here figuring that out, trying to decide what you believe or you're not sure where you're at on the, on the spectrum, um, it's great, love that you're here, feel free to come back. Um, but for the next six weeks, we're, we're going to deal with things that are specific um, to Christians. And, and here's why I say that. I just want to remind you of this. And if you've been around Grace Point for a while, you've heard me say this, but I want to say it again. When you look at all of the commands, all of the laws, all the rules that you find in Scripture, the thou shalt and thou shalt not, the do this, the don't do this, all of those were given to people who were already in relationship with God, Right? Not, and not, not um, you know, God created me, so I'm in a relationship with God. Not that kind of relationship, but a very specific covenantal relationship. So look at the Old Testament. You, you go with the Ten Commandments. Like, we know what the Ten Commandments are. You've at least heard of the Ten Commandments. But the Ten Commandments were not given to the nation of Israel in Egypt. God rescued them. God made a relationship with them. And then later, he gave them the Ten Commandments, because they were already in relationship with them. The New Testament's the exact same. We talked about the New Covenant a couple weeks ago, that, that people who are in relationship with Jesus, these rules, these laws that he gives us, the new command he gave us, was for those who are already in relationship with him. Now, maybe the best way to illustrate this is to, is to think about it like this. I don't show up to my neighbor's house with a list of rules for their kids, right? Like, I don't show up to my neighbor's house and say, hey, I'd really like your kids to be in bed by 9.30 tonight, <laughs> right? And then call them later that night, hey, are your kids in bed yet? I don't, I don't get to do that because I don't have the authority. I don't have a relationship with those kids. As long as they don't do it on my lawn, they can do whatever they want, right? I'm not gonna show up at your place of employment tomorrow. And say, okay, from now on, I need everybody to be here at 8 o'clock sharp. And uh, we're going to start checking everybody's pockets on the way out of work every day at the end of the day to make sure nobody's stealing paper clips. And from now on, and from now on, and from now on, I have no authority in your place of employment unless you work here at the church, right? <laughs> I have no relational equity with the people that you work with, with you or your coworkers. Because that is not my place. I don't get to give my neighbor's kids rules. I don't get to give you and your coworkers rules because there is no relationship there in the same way. Those of us who are Bible-believing, God-fearing, Jesus-following people have no right to hold up the standards and laws we find in Scripture to people who have never submitted themselves to that God. And we just, again, I just need to remind us of this. It's so easy for us to forget this. And when we forget this, historically, the church gets really judgmental and we get off mission 
and we start pointing our finger instead of looking at the three that are pointing back at us, all those rules, all those commandments, all those laws were given to a specific group of people already in a specific relationship with God. And for the next few weeks, I want us to talk about specific applications for Christians, okay? Everybody can do this. Us that are supposed to do this stuff. Okay? And so, now that I've got you all on edge, let's jump in. All right? Um, today's the introduction for the series, so I want to give you the bottom line for what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. This is, this is what you'll hear pretty much every single week um, for, for the entire series. It's at the end of the day, it's what you do that makes the difference. It's what you do that, that matters. Doing or application is what makes all the difference. Committing is great. Feeling dedicated is good. It's great. Do all of those things. But at the end of the day, none of that will make any difference in your life. If you don't do something with it, if you don't apply it to your life. Now, two people, two people camped out on this idea specifically. Um, Jesus, as you would expect, and Jesus' brother, James, who we, I said last week that eventually came to declare his brother his Lord. What would it take for your brother to, to, to prove to you that he was your Lord? James did this. He eventually submitted himself to the lordship of his brother, and he talks about this application. So we're going to look at what James says um, and then at the end, we're actually going to come back to see what Jesus says. And I think, I don't have any proof of this, but I think James got this from his brother. James just took what Jesus said and he applied it in the context that we find himself. So James chapter one, if you have a Bible or a mobile device and you want to follow along, great, get that out. We'll throw these verses up on the screen for us all to follow along um, so we can all be on the same page. But James chapter one, starting in verse 22, here we go. Many of you have heard this before. Do not merely as in only, do not only listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Pause. This is amazing. This is amazing. This was written a couple thousand years ago, and it's just as relevant today. It's one of the reasons I believe the Bible is inspired and God-breathed, because it's still as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. Here's what James is saying. He's saying there's a connection for those of us who are God-fearing, Bible-believing, Jesus-following people. There's a connection between merely listening and deceiving ourselves. What are you talking about, James? What's he saying? I would make the case that this is happening right now in this room. I would make the case that this happens every single week in this room or in the room that you're watching. This happens every single week in rooms just like this in churches all over Topeka, in churches all over Kansas, in churches all over the United States, in churches all around the world. That there's, in, 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 in our culture, as was the case in synagogue culture 2,000 years ago, there's a sense in which people think, you know, um, I'm in the building, I'm at church, or I'm at synagogue, so surely God is looking down on me, and he's going to give me favor. It's like God is looking, okay, he's in the building, um, somebody write it down. He gets a better parking spot at the mall on Thursday. Can somebody write that down for me? Good. Oh, and there she, yet she's there. Her kids are not going to grow up and cuss. Make sure you get that on paper. 
and, and I see him and I get, they get credit and he gets credit, she gets credit because you're simply here listening. It's like we get credit for showing up, sitting in rows and enduring a sermon. It's like I was awake for 90% of it, Lord. And 70% of the 90%, I was actually paying attention, wasn't counting light bulbs and the chandeliers or the lights up there. This is American culture. And I'm not telling you anything you don't know. This is American culture. It was Jewish culture 2,000 years ago. And we somehow think God gives us credit for just listening. We think somehow that we, we get credit for being godly because we sit down and we read it every morning. And, and here's, here's the other thing that happens. If you go to a church where the pastor preaches like real practical stuff, isn't it true? Sometimes you feel bad about yourself. I've, I've experienced this. I grew up in a church that was very practical, talking about how do you apply this in your life. And there are multiple times I walked away, I thought, I am terrible at following Jesus. Like, I am bad at this, I'm bad at that, I'm a terrible dad, I'm a terrible husband, or ladies, I'm a terrible wife, I'm a terrible mom. It's just, I felt so bad about myself at church today. Didn't you feel, I know, I felt so close to God. We consider that a valuable religious experience. We've somehow made guilt synonymous with God. And the guiltier I feel, the more religious I feel. And nobody taught you to do that. Like there's, you're, you're not doing anything that you just want to do. There's just this thing that happens in our culture. Like if we show up and listen, again, or we sit down and we read it ourselves and we feel guilty, it's like that's God's proof that he's, he's paying attention. And we, we, again, we walk away feeling better about ourselves, but forget about holiness. Forget about walking, you know, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Let's just feel guilty week after week after week after week. James, the brother of Jesus, says, you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself if you think there's value in that. Getting up earlier than your neighbor on Sunday and enduring our parking lot, I apologize for our parking lot over and over and over again, okay? And throwing a few dollars in the offering and enduring a speech. No good. Does you absolutely no good. So James, if, that's, if we're deceiving ourselves, it doesn't do, what should we do? What does James say? Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Yeah, but if I start doing it, it's going to mess up my life. <laughs> like I'm going to have to change. I'm going to have to rearrange my schedule. I'm going to have to rearrange what I spend my money on. No, I don't want to do that. I just want credit for hearing it and feeling bad about the fact that I don't do what it says. If I start doing what the Bible says, I won't feel guilty anymore. I won't feel close to God anymore. Aren't we supposed to feel close to God? Isn't that, like the, the, isn't that the point? It's going to mess up my whole religious experience. James says, no, you're deceiving yourself. Application is what makes the difference. Do what it says. Then James, he gives us a brilliant illustration of what he's talking about. Again, many of you have heard this before. Hear it again. Verse 23, anyone who listens, so anyone who sits in rows, who take notes, Anyone who knows what the Greek is, anyone who listens to the word, 
but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror, which every single one of us have today. You've already done that once or 70 times at least. Looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now, in our culture, in our day, we have glass mirrors so we can see specific things. In James's day, he had, they had tin, uh, they had a piece of metal, maybe they had like a bucket of water that they could look over, peer over the edge of in the light, and they could see their face. But, but in our world, we can see the reflection very, very clearly. That's about as good as it got for them. And James, he's, he's making this connection to the person that merely listens to the word is like, is like the person who goes, oh, wow, I don't like what I see there. Oh, wow, I need to stop doing that. Oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. And then walks out the door and doesn't do anything about the oh, wow. It's like, it's like getting up in the morning. That person who does that, it's like getting up in the morning, looking at yourself in the mirror going, oh, wow, time to go to work. We don't do anything with it. Now, <laughs> once you pass about 12 or 13, you don't do that anymore, do you? It's usually right around that age that you start doing some work. In fact, I want you to think about this. Um, those of you who are 30, 35, think about all the time and money and energy you spend on the, oh, wow, you see in the morning right? Like you have, you have a spread. You've got your utensils, you've got your potions, you've got your lotions, you've got all this stuff spread out, right? And, and, and what, when do you quit looking in the mirror in the morning? When do you quit looking in the mirror? When everything is just right, right? You don't walk away until it's done. And James, he's talking to Christians, He's talking to Christians. If you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, apply this as much as you want. But for Christians, he is saying, look, you're more committed to things that doesn't make that big of a difference in your life than you are to the things that do. You're more committed to getting every hair in place and your makeup just right. And does this tie match with this shirt? And that, that really has nothing to do with the condition of your heart. And then the stuff that scripture talks about, your morality, your money, your relationships, your marriage, the way you treat your kids, the way you honor your parents, the way you handle yourself at work, your integrity, like that stuff reveals the condition of your heart. And, and if you're more committed to fixing what you see in the mirror, which matters little, than you are to, to fixing the things you see in the mirror of your heart, you you might be deceiving yourself. Like you show up to church and you look awesome. Do you obey awesome? Do you love awesome? Do you encourage awesome? Do you forgive awesome? Do you, do you serve awesome? Do you encourage awesome? He's, he's, he's really calling us out. He's, he's, you've totally deceived yourself. And, and here's what we do. And if you're not a Jesus follower, go ahead and point your finger at us. We deserve it. Because this is how we talk in church. It's like a guy who gets up in the morning and goes, I really need to shave. Man, it's been a couple of weeks since I've shaved, but I'm not going to shave. I'm just going to go to work today. And then someone comes along and says, Tim, did you shave this morning? No, I, I didn't. But, you know, I'm just, I'm just really waiting on God's timing for that. 
just waiting for him to speak to me. And then I go to small group. My small group says, Tim, um, how, did you shave today? No, guys, thanks so much for holding me accountable for that. I know I've asked you to hold me accountable for that. Um, Jana has mentioned something about it. And I know I need to. I saw it. Somebody else pointed it out. Could we just pray for me right now? Because I really need to shave. Let's just pray that Tim will shave. Right? And, and you're thinking, just go shave. Just go shave. No, I don't really actually want to do something. I just want to feel bad about it, make it a prayer request, and hold, have people hold me accountable for something I have no intention of doing. <laughs> Aren't you glad you came to church today? Isn't this so encouraging? <laughs> See, come on, come on. Some of you have been carrying around the same old habits, the same overindulgences, the, the same lack of discipline for years. And somebody comes along and says, are you going to do anything about that? Like, shouldn't you do something about that? Yeah, I know I should, but I, I, I kind of feel closer to God when I don't. And if I'm, I'm, I'm being honest. I'm just being transparent. And there's nothing wrong with honesty. I don't think there's anything wrong with transparency. But James says you're deceiving yourself. If you think that's doing you any, it's not doing you any good. Because application is what makes all the difference. It's what you do, not what you intend to do, not what you know you ought to do, and not what God convicts you to do that makes the difference. It's what you actually do with this. He's not done. Next part, it's a little confusing on the surface, but I think when you sit with it, it becomes more and more powerful. He says, verse 25, but whoever looks intently, now we know what's, what's, what's it, what it looks like to look intently more than James did. Some of you, you have a look intently mirror in your bathroom. It's got little lights around it, right? Magnifies everything. Like you can see to the depths of your pores. If you look just right, you can see straight up your nose to your brain, that's a look intently mirror. We know more about looking intently than James did, but whoever looks intently, like I'm not leaving until everything is how I want it. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law. Think about this. When James is talking about the perfect law, in his case, he's talking about the Old Testament. There was the stories and accounts of Jesus' life were, were floating around, but they hadn't been collected and put into the Bible yet. The letters that Paul wrote to the churches, they were floating around, but they hadn't been put together yet. So James says the perfect law, he's talking about the Old Testament. Here's how James, the brother of Jesus, described the Old Testament. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Now, come on. <laughs> the do's and the don'ts, the thou shalt's and the thou shalt not's in the Old Testament. I don't think freedom when I hear those, James. I think narrow. I think restrictive. I think we're never, ever, ever going to have fun. Ever. I, I, I don't think about freedom. I think about the opposite of freedom. How in, the law, how, how in the world can you say this is the perfect law of freedom? How could that be? And here's what I think James is getting at. 
some of you, like me, you grew up in a Christian home, you grew up in a church, again, that taught that the, the, the Bible was explained or it was presented in a very practical way, like it has to do with your daily life. So one of the things I was taught from very early age, every time I got a dollar, I gave a dime and I saved a dime and I could spend the 80, 80 cents left on whatever I wanted. So every time I got a dollar, I gave a dime, I saved a dime and I spent 80 cents. But then I got older and I started making hundreds of dollars, which meant I was giving away hundreds of dollars and I was saving hundreds of dollars. And the older I got, the less free I felt. The more it felt restrictive, the more it felt like, God, you're taking my money away, right? And so for the first 20 years of my life, that idea, that command did not feel like freedom. But can I tell you what? For the next 24 years of my life, I've been free as a bird financially. I've been so free. And some of you, come on, again, don't, you don't have to be honest with anybody else but yourself. Those of you with a bunch of debt, those of you with little margin, those of you with more month than money, do you feel free because of the decisions you've made? And see, here's, here's what you did. You decided on the front end that it's my money. I'm free to do whatever I want with it. And it did not result in freedom, did it? I was, I was taught, some of you like, like me, when you were a teenager, you were taught that God has specific things to say about sexuality and sex, primarily that sex was designed to work best between one man and one woman for life. And when you're 15 or 16, and those hormones are raging, that doesn't feel like freedom. That feels like somebody's trying to restrict me. That feels like somebody's trying to keep me from having fun but you decided to manage your, that part of your life the way God designed it. You, you would not have said that you felt free at 15 or 16. But here we are 15, 20, 30, 40 years later, and you're free as a bird in that area of your life. You, you're so grateful. At least I am. I'm so grateful to God and the people that God put in my life that taught me what seemed like the opposite of freedom back then that resulted in freedom today. Come on. The message around sexuality in our culture does not produce freedom. It's sold like that. It's sold like do whatever you want with whoever you want. It's, you're free. It's your, it's your body. You can do whatever you want with it. That never ends up in freedom. It's sold like that on the front end never ends up in freedom on the back end. I could, we could go on and on and on. It's why this passage is so powerful that the word of God is freedom giving if you apply it. If you do what it says. Not if you believe. Not if you, if you listen. Not if you read it. If you apply it. You know what else I was taught? Again, we could go on and on. I was taught that when somebody does something bad to me, I eventually had to forgive them. And and, and I don't care if you're a teenager or as my mom likes to call herself, a queenager. <laughs> it doesn't matter what age you are. Forgiving never feels like freedom. <laughs> At the very beginning, it never, it's like the triple whammy. It's like, you've already done something bad to me. And then God comes along and says, you need to forgive them. <clears throat> and I think, 
no, you need to smite them. <laughs> right? Like, aren't you on my side? So they hurt me. They did something bad to me. God comes along. It's like he's on their side. It's like people are ganging up on me. And then the third thing, I have to let them off the hook. I have to say, you don't owe me anymore. It's, it's the triple whammy. That's what forgiveness feels like, right? Where's the freedom in that? Have you ever been a slave to anger? Ever been a slave to resentment? Have you ever felt like somebody had something over you because you refused to forgive? See, there's freedom and forgiveness. It doesn't feel like it at the very beginning, but it does eventually. The perfect law that brings freedom. We can go on and on and on. I'm just telling you, I've followed Jesus for long enough. I've had enough conversations. I've seen people on both sides of the equation. I'm more convinced than I've ever been that what James is saying is exactly right. The application of God's word is where we find the freedom. You don't know it initially, but you experience it eventually. Doing what God's word says doesn't always equate to immediate freedom, but it always results in ultimate freedom. That's what James is talking about. That's what James is teaching us. But again, I think he got it from his brother. At the end of the, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous message, right? It's the message that we could spend the rest of our life reading and listening to and going, oh, wow, I've got some work to do. At the end of that message, J Jesus makes a summary statement of everything he's just taught. Here's what he said. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into, what's the word? Practice. Not everyone who hears these words of mine and takes notes. Not everyone who hears these words of mine and parses the original language and comes back next week for another dose. Whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Do you know how much harder it is to build your house on rock than it is to build it on sand? It takes so much more time. It takes so much more energy. It takes so much more effort. That's 15-year-old that's Tim going, you want me to do what? Like, for how long? I'm, gonna, I'm supposed to say no for how long? I'm, I'm supposed to give up what? I'm supposed to forgive that sounds like, like I got to dig really deep and get my house ready, get my life ready to build on rock. You want me to submit to authority? That was something else that I was taught. Submit to authority, good authority, bad authority, because God works through authority. Have you, have you seen how he abuses his authority? He's a terrible teacher. He's a terrible coach. I'm supposed to submit to that authority? I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to obey my parents. They can't even get along. But I'm supposed to obey my parents. That's like building my house on rock. It's just so much more time and effort and energy. Jesus said, I know, that's why I made up this silly little story. It's hard at the beginning. It's hard at the beginning. But when it's all is said and done, you'll be so glad you did. It'll result in freedom that you can't imagine right now. You can't see right now. Your life will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. So for the next 
few weeks, we're going to talk about five very specific applications. And if you're a Jesus follower, this stuff is for you. It's for us. If you're not a Jesus follower, you're welcome to play along, okay? And, and actually, cards on the table, let me just be completely honest with you. I have a hidden agenda for you. I have an agenda for you. I hope that you do some of this stuff and you come to the realization, huh, my life is actually better because I'm doing this. And I hope you come back. And I hope there comes a day when you're hearing us talk about Jesus or you're hearing us sing about Jesus and the cross and forgiveness of sin. And you think to yourself, I believe that. I believe that. And I'm going to spend the rest of my life getting to know this Jesus. I hope. I hope that for you. I wish that for you. But until that day comes, you apply this however you want. But for the rest of us, here's what I hope for you. I hope these five things that are held up in front of you, I hope that you stare at them with the same intentionality that you stare at your face in the mirror every morning. And you would refuse to look away until you've made the necessary adjustments to bring what you see in your heart into alignment with what God has for you and what he very clearly teaches us, what he very clearly speaks into your life. And as we go through this series, I don't know if this is even possible, but I'm praying, I'm hoping, I'll just put this thought out there that every morning throughout this series, that you, when you walk into the bathroom and you look at your face in that crystal clear glass, that the words of James will come back into your mind. And you will practice, again, with intentionality, the same focus, the same energy, the same effort that you spend every single morning when you fix your face and your hair and you shave and you look at those pores and you make sure everything's right and everything matches and you try on 17 different outfits and all that different kind of stuff, okay? When you think about all the effort you look, you, you, you give and you put into looking great before you walk out and ask the question, am I making the same effort to applying God's word in my life? I hope, I hope that question haunts you for six weeks. After we're done, do whatever you want with it. But I hope that question keeps coming back because if that becomes the driving force of your life, James, the brother of Jesus... And Jesus himself makes us this promise. You'll be blessed in what you do. You'll be blessed in what you do. Because at the end of the day, application is what makes all the difference.